Hello and welcome to the Just For Show show. I'm Galen Malik. As always, we are here to celebrate our love of community theater with some good friends, and I wouldn't be able to do that without these wonderful humans. Heidi Swarthout. Hi, Heidi. Hello. And Ben Slabeck. Hey, Ben. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you, Galen? I am fantastic. This episode, we will be talking with the incomparable Richard Paul, and we have a lot of other things to talk about, so let's not waste any time. Let's get on with the show. So, so then, are you ready for this? The director says, we can't use real oranges on stage anymore because of the ants. Ants. <laughs> Turns out they had colonized in the theater. The whole stage was crawling with ants on the costumes, the props, the furniture. And it's a play about the guy who started the first orange juice company. So you can imagine. 15 minutes, everyone. Uh, thank you, 15. Thank you, 15. Ben, I need to talk to you over here. Uh, can I wait? I'm in the middle of the story about the time I understudied for that production of The Big Squeeze and, and things are just starting to get juicy. No, no, no. It can't wait. You're going on tonight. Going on what? On stage. Apparently our lead actor ate some knockoff Twizzlers backstage last night and he's been sick all day. You're the understudy, so here's your costume. 14 minutes till places. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What? I can't do this. Sure you can. Just be careful not to crush the feathers as you're stepping into it. Um, there's a zipper here. This part snaps. And we added Velcro for your quick change. So that no, no, no. Be- I mean, I, 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 I can't go on stage tonight. I, I'm not ready. Not ready? What, what are you talking about? You're the understudy. Exactly. The understudy. I, I learn the lines, go to a couple of rehearsals, make some friends, tell a few stories, pick up a few new stories, take it to my next gig, and move on. I don't actually go on stage. Uh... <laughs> Listen to me. I can't do this. Oh, no. I can't breathe. The room is spinning. Everything is going dark. Hey, <laughs> don't you do this to me. I cannot go back to the director and tell him his understudy is having an existential crisis. He is counting on you. The cast is counting on you. The audience is counting on you. Most importantly, I am counting on you, and I count on no one. Now, take a deep breath, go splash some water on your pathetic face, do your zip-zap-zop or whatever the hell you actors do malarkey, shimmy into that nightmare of a costume, and get your sparkly yellow feathered buns on that stage. 12 minutes till places. But I... 12 minutes. Thank you, 12. Oh, and Ben? Yeah? Break a leg. So, Heidi... Yes? Today, we're going to talk a little bit about toughing it out. We're going to talk about performing... But performing in the face of adversity, namely those bumps and bruises, those under the weather days uh, that that we have to fight our way through and still perform because we can't let the audience down. Yes. I didn't know. I wasn't sure where you were going with that because (laughs) you talked about toughing it out and adversity. And I was like, okay, all right. Are we performing in a tent? where people are throwing tomatoes at you. Um, Yeah, that'll be next time. This time, (laughs) this time, we're going to give a chance for Ben to tell his story about that time I kneecapped him on opening night. He uh, he went ahead and 
performed anyway. Yeah, Gillen uh, really wanted the role, but uh, a full on <laughs> Tanya Harding can't can't keep a good man down. <laughs> But I'm sure we all have, you know, some sort of experience with um, either ourselves, uh, you know, facing some sort of some sort of mishap uh, that would uh, sideline lesser mortals. Uh, (laughs) But uh, but we went ahead and and fought through it um, or maybe, you know, stories of of co-actors. Oh, man. Yeah. The show must go on, right? Too many to count. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like this is where we need to to chat with Claire Yearman again about you know all of the uh, t- injuries and things that she survived during stage combat stuff. But oh, yeah, yeah, no. stage combat's a good opportunity to get yourself <laughs> sidelined, isn't it? Yeah, right. Like, okay, I'm actually bleeding, and now what? Now what do um, I do? Yeah. Oh yeah, we've all got them. I was in a show with Claire, um, and she. Had uh, uh, she had to go backstage and like grab a knife and just bring it out. Like it was just like a kitchen knife, and uh, I think it might have been like opening night or opening weekend. And she went to grab. She went backstage to grab the knife, and she knocked the thing the knife was on, and it went to fall. And her brain was like, "Catch it!" But she caught the blade side of it, oh. and it cut her. And she was just Ooh. like kicking herself. She was like, "I should have taped." She was like, "I should have taped the knife." She's like, Aww. I never should have not taped the knife. Um, so, but it was just funny that you mentioned Claire because, yeah, that was one of that's one of them where I'm just like, remember that story for the rest of your life. What was the show? <laughs> what show was it? Uh, it was Boy Gets Girl at uh, the Village Theater Guild. Oh, I like, in, like that script. Uh, there are two versions of that script, fun fact. Oh, I, I did not know that until I was casting it because I had a version of one. I had one version and then I got a, a second version of it. Okay. Um, and I actually like the one that we performed better. I felt it made okay. the I felt it made the characters make more sense. Ironically, the other version doesn't have a knife in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's rough. Yeah, actual actually getting caught on a knife blade is mm-hmm. is pretty brutal. That has not happened to me personally, but um, I, I have performed through some ick before. What do you mean by ick? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You know, when you've just got the ick, um, it's kind of funny to think about now, actually, because with um, COVID and everything, the idea of going out into the world and uh, just, oh, I'm sick, but I'm going to go do it anyway is kind of like, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. But um, once upon a time, uh, listeners of the future who are hearing this and saying, what? Uh, people used to just go wherever they wanted, sick as dogs, and get everybody else sick too. And um, yeah, <laughs> one such true. time in college, um, I uh, I was super sick, and we were doing a production of Love's Labor's Lost. And it was my first Shakespeare role, and it was, it was an awesome role. I played Rosaline, who... Um, that's a story for another day because of course I'm blonde and her hair is black. And uh, so I've got a a good uh, hair dye story I can share at some point. But so I was playing Rosaline in Love's Labor's Lost, my first Shakespeare. And I was sick as a dog for opening. And um, I I don't even know what kind of weird college Petri dish disease I had that week. But you know how (laughs) like when you're in school, you're just always sick. Um, And so I had a terrible fever. Um, was borderline like delirious, you know, like kind of not 
with it. And um, our costumes were big and heavy, uh, sort of the, the look was Victorian style. So everything was bustled in and corseted and, you know, layers and jackets and petticoats and all the things. Right. Real cozy mm. gloves and hats. And how many more layers can we put on one person? Um, At least two sets of socks. <laughs> So your feet but, don't get cold. But I, but I wasn't going to to miss the performance. So um, what I remember just so clearly is that I was like, I could barely stand up when I was off stage. And then I would sort of get this when it was time to go on, like the adrenaline. I don't know. Just the, I would be like, whoosh. Okay. And we're on. And I would go on and do my thing and I would come off stage and I would collapse. I mean, I just felt like hot garbage and, but as, and my head was throbbing and I, you know, uh, I had an awful fever, but I just knew I'm like, if I can, if I just hear my cue and I can get out there and do the thing, then I, I just have to do that a whole bunch of times. And then, and then I can go home and sleep. Um, <laughs> and that is what I did. Probably wow. not wise but um you know that's that's, so, that's what has you were you in college you said mm-hmm. there's no yep. understudies in college Correct. well not yeah. not most colleges not, not that i know yeah yeah i, I certainly right, did yeah. not have an understudy and i was so excited about the role and the show and shakespeare and yeah, yeah I, was of gonna, course. I was gonna go on that stage by hook or by crook yep yep <laughs> how about you galen I don't think I have a lot of stories about that. I do have, I mean, we were still in rehearsal on, uh, this is a show that Ben and I were in. Oh, uh, what show? Uh, you're in town. You're in town, right? As I was yeah. looking back and I was like, what show would it be that <laughs> Heidi wouldn't have been a part of? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's only one. Yeah. Uh, musical. That would make sense. I was dead. And I didn't yeah. even see it. I'm sorry, guys. That's okay. No, it was no, in a, it was in a church. Uh, wonderful. Honestly, great director, Craig. Wonderful experience. It was in a church basement, and it was very hot. So for those of you who missed it, uh, we forgive you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Carte blanche. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it was under conditions that would be illegal to put a prisoner in. Uh, (laughs) But but it was a fun show. And um, back in before before the show was on, we were still doing rehearsals. We were still learning um, our basic choreography. We had a really good choreographer as well. Very patient with people like me who basically can barely put one foot in front of the other. Um, but um, yeah, the closest thing that I came to like you know soldiering on uh, with an injury was uh, I happened to get a hernia surgery. Oh. No. Uh, a pretty minor one, but, but it was, yeah, they wheel you in and put you out and you're, it's still surgery. Surgery nonetheless. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, um, I was going to wait until, you know, I felt, you know, recovered a little bit to go to rehearsal. Um, but I decided that, yeah, I, I felt good enough to, to, to go to rehearsal and, oh and, uh, God. and choreography oh. that day. Ugh. So yeah, that, that day, evening. Yeah. The same day that you had surgery? Yeah. 
Yeah, I had Galen. it that morning. And then- <laughs> Galen, I, I did not know this story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. Old quiet, stalwart Galen came to rehearsal, told no one, I had surgery today, guys. Had his, wow. had his guts ripped out of him for hernia surgery. <laughs> Still in so it. how did it go? I, uh, you know, it was, it, like I say, it was only rehearsal. It wasn't a show. I probably would have maybe thought twice about it. But yeah, I just kind of kept my head down, did my little steppity steppity and went home. Oh. I was doing all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, this, that's not how the story is supposed to go because I feel like anybody listening is going, oh, he's, so it was fine. Okay. Was yeah, fine. surgery, no same day. Just go to yeah, rehearsal that night. Yeah. He did it. He did it. It's fine. Uh, no, I do not recommend doing that to anyone at home. Oh. Stay home. Drink some juice. Yes, Just rest. relax. Did you, you at least have some good drugs? Were you medicated to endure this rehearsal? Oh, you know what? They they had me under that morning. So who wow. knows what was going through my system? <laughs> that I, I'm lucky I found my way home. Who knows? Cool. No, I, I, Great. I, 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 <laughs> awesome. No, no I, was, I was fine by that night. Oh, uh, don't drive under anesthesia, listeners. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's, just, let's just put that blanket statement out there. Don't repeat any story you've heard on the Just for Show show. What, right, would, what would Galen do? <laughs> coming, coming, coming soon, what would Galen do? Shirts available. And, and Galen is one of the more sensible people that I know, especially in the, in the theater world, but maybe just in the world. Um, so, yeah, that is... <laughs> That is not on brand, Galen. Don't, don't do drugs. <laughs> oh, oh wow. but, but I suppose it qualifies as performing injured or otherwise. Yeah. Yes. Now, I, I don't know about you guys. I've Well, Ben, have you yes. had a personal injury or illness that you performed through? I have, I have a twofer story in a weird way. Um, not about me, though, but I was involved in both productions. But um, my, <laughs> Sounds like the my, black cat, like a black know, cat right? scenario. <laughs> my my first show ever at, in college is a five-person cast. Uh, the main character is was me, like a time-traveling between like 15 and 18-year-old boy uh, trying to catfish another boy on the internet. So it was a lot of me in this this other guy and we had you know we were gone through rehearsals and we were i think we had uh, i think we had a four weekend run and i think we had the first weekend in the books but during that first weekend the other guy i won't use his name i he probably won't listen but i don't want to i don't want to make it seem like he was in any way super duper negligent but the first weekend during the day he took um, a one weekend course for a motorcyclist's license. And I got a phone call the second Thursday from my stage manager. And he was like, Hey, so-and-so was in a motorcycle accident. He broke his leg in three places. He can't go on. Oh, and it's no. college, so we don't. This is Thursday. We we oh. have a Friday show, so uh, we uh, thank God our assistant stage manager was also a male who had been there since the first rehearsal. So mm. 
we threw him in the same costume that he, <laughs> the poor guy, we took a copy of this script. It's a dramatist script. It's bright yellow. The script oh, cover. Of course. Of course it is. Our, our prop guy <laughs> covered a spare copy in like gaffer's tape, hmm. black gaffer's tape. Lever? So you couldn't see it. And he had, okay. he carried it with him. And so he, he finished off the run. So wow. he finished. Wow. <laughs> but fast forward to the, the summer show. Different cast. We're doing Sleeping Beauty, and I'm in the show, and I'm typing away. Uh, we once again already got like a, a performance under our belts. The I'm at work, and I get a phone call from the <laughs> no. the same stage manager, and he <sighs> goes, "Hey." <laughs> Somebody else got a motorcycle license, and um... so actually, he he goes, Stop. He, he calls up and he goes, so and so was in a motorcycle accident, and he Stop. used the same, he used the same name as the first person who's not in the show. So let's say his name was Bob. Let's say the guy's name was Bob. So he calls me up. Bob's not in the show. He goes, Hey, Bob was in a motorcycle accident, and I was like, Ha 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 ha! What's up? And he goes, Okay, now that that's a, now that now that the pleasantries are out of order, um, <laughs> oh. we'll call her. Gail, I've never met anyone. He goes, yeah, Gail's appendix ruptured. <gasps> oh no! Oh. And not only that, they were like, "We, I'm in this show for the record. I have my own part." They go, "The director wants you to play her part." Okay. <laughs> uh, Wait, what? Say what now? I know. No, she was one of you know how Sleeping Beauty has like three fairies. Oh yes, uh, yeah. yes. She she was one of the three fairies, but my <gasps> character was only in Act Two. Okay. So I I go in. It's a it's a Thursday once again. Thursday I go in costume shop. They I can't fit into her costume. It's like cut for a female. Like it is sure. totally. Oh, yeah. They throw a bunch of costume pieces on me. Hand me a script with a ribbon through it so i can wear it around my neck because i know none of her lines <gasps> and then i had to go up on friday one night only performance she was better by saturday but one night only performance of me double cast as this fairy <laughs> wow. and also my and then i had to like run off They're like and they were like here so you take this fairy's lines in this scene and you take the because i had to run off change into my costume come on do my whole scene run back <laughs> off and change back <laughs> into a fairy and i was like and it was so much prep work for just one night but what what's funny to me is it was me but also it was the exact same stage manager right and he was like right. yeah, yeah. so 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 broke their leg ha 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 no seriously what's up well, now that we got that out of the way, so-and-so's appendix busted. <laughs> Man. Oh, yeah, so you start going, there's a common denominator here. There's a couple of common denominators here. Who's I the, actually uh... don't think he and I ever worked on another show together, but those two I thought are some of the oldest, oldest theater memories that I have of someone <laughs> not being able to go on and us going, well, shoot. <laughs> what yeah. do we do? Well, Galen and I were in a show together a few years ago where um, an we're actress. In a show with you? You were once or twice, one or two. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was me, Galen. Oh, it's yeah. me, Heidi. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we were, we were in a show a few years ago where uh, one of the actresses stepped off of 
the stage into darkness and rolled her ankle Mm. and um it was some kind of fracture of some kind but her role required in one scene anyway for her to wear a bathing suit and um god bless our stage manager who was a, a woman and okay i will put on the bathing suit and and go on stage with the script and do the part and um and she did it, yeah. you know. Um, so you do what you got to do. But yep. man alive, of all things, you know, it wasn't like, you know, here, could you put on her cloak or something? You know, it's like so vulnerable. <laughs> I mean, to, to be oh, like, yeah. oh, here yeah. you go. Were you, hey, stage manager, were you planning on being in a bathing suit in front of an audience full of people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, that was one. And then I also... Um, very clearly remember another an ankle situation with uh (laughs) what are these ankles come on right ankles are (laughs) so easy to bust (laughs) right everybody wrap your ankles okay just even if they're not hurting just wrap them wear boots i don't know um but we 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 were doing uh the complete works of william shakespeare abridged at steel beam and we had a show by the way Oh, it's such a great script, and thank you. We're all really proud of that show. It was a blast. And oh, everyone, we were... every everyone listening, if you were involved in that show, a terrific show. Aww. I mean that. It's not just Heidi. I'm not just just blowing <laughs> bl- blowing smoke. Great up Heidi's. job, Heidi. Everybody else, <laughs> mm, oh. no, they, those those ladies were amazing. We had all ladies, and we were all buddies, and uh, directed by Jesse Hicks, and um who's not a lady, but is amazing. And, um, <laughs> but what, one of the, the people in the cast was, well, the cast was myself and either, uh, Jen Wilson or Lori Holm, depending on the performance, they, they swapped on and off and then Julie bear. So always me, always Julie bear. And then either you get a Lori or a Jen, both fantastic. And Julie is of course, you know, for anybody who knows Julie, this very active, rambunctious little you know, spunky thing. And she decided that at the top of the second act, she would enter the stage doing a cartwheel. And so she, you know, comes on stage, she does her cartwheel. And then, you know, the, it's a very fast paced show. It, it, it doesn't stop. You don't have time to stop, breathe, whatever. On we went, we, we fit, we complete the show. We're I've never sweat so much in my whole life. We come off stage, we're panting, we're all like, "Okay, we did it!" And Julie's like, "Could you guys tell that I hurt my ankle?" And uh, nope, no, no, we could not tell. We had no idea. And she had hurt her ankle at the top of the second act, doing that cartwheel. And went on to do the whole show, and none of us were any the wiser. And she had a pretty nasty spiral fracture and was off that foot for um, quite a while after that. We still had a performance left. Well, because Lori and Jen switched performances on and off, um, Jen was pretty confident that she could perform Julie's part. And so... Our final show. Wow. <laughs> Jen went on. It was, I mean, here's Julie with her foot in like a cast type situation. She's sitting in a chair 
you know, before the show and she's just pointing to Jen, that prop goes there, that costume goes there. Here's what I do this. I marked the script for you backstage. They sort of orchestrated it and figured it out and nobody knew. I mean, Jen did an amazing job covering for Julie. Um, We were very sad not to have Julie, of course, for the final show, but glad that we could still go on. Wow. Yeah. My my stomach was in knots just thinking about the difficulty of, of that show and having almost no, in a way, right? almost no prep time. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. To, to be fair, um, Jen had one advantage, which was that she had performed in this show before and she had performed Julie's role before. Gotcha. Um, it had been a while. Well, and of course. of course, this was a different staging and, and everything else. But um she did a, a fantastic job, but those are the things that happen. You know, you don't know if you're going to get hurt or sick and yeah, yeah, will, the, will the show go on? Well, this show is going to go on because we still have an interview with Richard Paul to get to. We are very lucky to get some time to speak with Richard. He's a fantastic director with a rich history in local theater. We hope you enjoy this interview. So, Welcome, Richard Paul. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad to have you on. We're going to um, pick your brain about all kinds of fun stuff. Thanks. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. What was the like the sort of first thing that really pulled you into theater? Um, I was a real latecomer, a real latecomer. I went to a little parochial school in a little town in northwest Ohio, and it really had no real arts education whatsoever. I was always good at reading. So, you know, I was always reading in front of the class and I always liked singing. My mother played the piano and she always encouraged me to sing so she could accompany me. So that was really early. Then in seventh grade, my school didn't do any plays, but they did a big Christmas pageant. And I was asked to be the, the, the MC as Santa Claus. And Mm. if I recall the reviews correctly, I was a big hit. But as a husky child, I really hated to be put in that position. So the next year, they asked me to do it again. And I just told the nuns, no, I wanted to sing in the choir. Wow, very bold of you. I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know at all. So then the next part of the story, I'm in high school and pursuing mostly English stuff, reading stuff, writing stuff. And I was on the school paper. And my senior year in the fall, three teachers produced the first musical they'd done there in many, many years. And I was assigned to review it, Oliver, And I just sat there looking at all of my schoolmates on that stage, wearing costumes, singing, acting. And it was like, I want to do that. Mm. So (laughs) then in the spring, there was the senior class play, Flowers for Algernon, that old chestnut. And I auditioned for it and got cast as, you know, third doctor from the left. And I am sure that I was dreadful, but I'm sure you could hear me in the back row. (laughs) so I I went off to this little college didn't really know what I was doing and I fell into this into this bad crowd in the cafeteria they were all theater people and they encouraged me to audition for the fall production of Gilbert and Sullivan's trial by jury peer pressure I auditioned for it I got cast and then it was just like a, a snowball hurtling down the hill I couldn't be stopped. 
That's exciting. Well, so when did you decide you were going to study theater? Yeah, so I had gone to college to please my father as a business major and English minor. And after a couple of business classes, I switched to an English major business minor. And then after my involvement in the theater, I switched to an English major communication arts minor. And then after another semester, I switched to a communication arts major English minor. So that my school was so small, they didn't have a theater major. It was under the heading of communication arts. Mm, Uh, Lots of sly little adjustments as you went along. That's good. Well, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> my my own path was very similar, actually, Richard. I, I kept trying to deny a theater major, and I kept sneaking in classes here and there until I accidentally had a minor, um, and then finally declared the major. So, yeah, it's strange how that happens. It just sort of, like you said, snowballs. I was compelled, man. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> Tell us about... Um, some of the people who shaped you along the way? Who were some of your teachers or mentors? Sure. My high school director, Elaine Mollenkoff, um, it was a very, not only was she my director, but she, uh, I had a circle of theater friends that sort of revolved around her. And, you know, in addition to directing shows at the school, she would organize some field trips to see shows elsewhere. And ultimately we be stayed friends till the end of her life. She was probably one of my biggest fans. She traveled all over the country to see me in various shows. Oh, that's so cool. Um, similarly, my college advisor um, was very encouraging. You know, after three years in college, even though I was a communication arts major, I had no real skills. I had no real claim to pursuing a career, but he was just very encouraging. He got me into a equity summer stock theater that year that I graduated. And once again, I stayed in touch with him to the end of his life. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like you made a lot of good connections in your college time. Very fortunate. What were some of your your favorite productions that you were involved in while you were in college? Well, you know, still, I I love Gilbert and Sullivan. I love that trial by jury. I would love to play the judge now. If anybody's out there looking to do a musical one act, I am ready. You heard it Um, here. I I played one of the student leads in Charlie's Aunt. I didn't have a particularly stellar college career. I was just learning my way around. I think that's the best way to do it, just to sort of, you know, get in there and see what you can figure out. And it's amazing what some of the takeaways are when you just sort of jump in and you're open to any possibility. It was a pretty small school and they had just built a new black box theater when I was there and they they used it to the max. So not only was I acting, but I was directing and building sets and building costumes and running lights and doing publicity. So it was a, you know, a pretty immersive experience. And I was allowed to direct a full production of I Am a Camera my, the, my last semester of my senior year. And now what are some of the lessons that you learned about directing then that you still use today? Oh gosh, do I still use any of that stuff? <laughs> you know, in the years <laughs> right after college, 
I was allowed to direct several things, you know, with no resume whatsoever. And, you know, I really think what must have gotten me in the door was an enthusiasm and a, and a respect for everybody else. So I would have to say that is what has served me well all these years. That's so true. That definitely applies to the Richard that we know today. So if you learned that um, way back when, that's a very valuable lesson. Now, we're in the Chicago suburbs area, uh, but you didn't start out in this part of the world. You started out least of here, didn't you? I, I grew up in Northwest Ohio and then dabbled around there after I first got out of college, but I spent a decade, the 90s, you know, just sort of traveling around the country as a journeyman actor slash director. And finally, finally, after 10 years of not having my own home and not having a permanent theater community, I, I knew that's what I needed. And so a, a friend, a college friend, offered me a job here in Elgin and Gosh, the Chicagoland area has been a, a great home for me. What was that? Uh, what was it you started doing in Elgin that brought you here? Uh, one of my college friends, far smarter than I was, rather than you know pursuing whatever theatrical stuff came around, she started. She and a friend started their own production company, producing musical comedy reviews, primarily for busloads of senior citizens. Now, uh -huh. you know, this is in a previous time when busloads of senior citizens traveled together to do things. And uh -huh. yeah. they, I think, started out, well, no, they didn't start out there. They had their biggest success at the Milk Pail in Dundee. So after they'd done that for several years, it was just too much for the two of them. They needed someone to man the office while they were rehearsing and doing the show. So they hired me as their office manager. And so I came here, you know, with the plan to do that and then pursue my own theatrical aspirations in my spare time. Now, you mentioned um, doing some non-traditional theater. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, thinking about performing a piece as a traditional run in a theater versus performing maybe with as a repertory company or touring or dinner theater. You've done all of those things. Can you speak a little bit about the differences between the different styles of, of performance and which ones you prefer, maybe? Well, that's difficult to speak to because when you're in the throes of it, you get sort of stuck in the trap of looking for the next job, of looking for the next paycheck. So, you know, a lot of times you take the job that comes along, which you might not have a huge passion for, but then other times you might get cast in a, as part of a, a summer stock company. And once you're there, then you might get to fight it out for a role that you really want. What are um, some of the, the roles that you uh, fought for that you were really proud of or excited about? Sure. Paul Verrill in Born Yesterday. And the woodcutter in Rashomon. I have a an affinity to play characters that are in the midst of this ethical dilemma. So, you know, I really fought for that part, and I really fought to play the baker in Into the Woods a number of years later. That's one of the kinds of parts that interest me. 
I counted over 60 plays and musicals directed by Richard. And those are just the ones that made it on the resume. I'm guessing there are probably other side projects and things that um, happened as well. It's a pretty impressive career you have. I don't know that I can explain it. My hair turned white very early, and I think I just uh, had a very (laughs) reassuring presence. Uh, uh, Maybe undeserved... uh, seniority or something <laughs> whatever works yeah. hey fake it till you make it baby <laughs> i'm glad you brought that up because that is one of the things i've suffered with for many years is that imposter complex or imposter syndrome that so many mm. theater people have because i didn't have that you know that acting degree from that big acting school from that studio or whatever and so for many years, I you know felt like sort of imposter, even though I was always working at my craft, always trying to learn new things from all the directors and all the other actors I worked with. And I, I think it's only been in recent years that I've started to give myself some credit for the, the few skills I picked up along the way. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Yeah. Let's give credit where it's due. Yeah. Can you think of things that you have learned from actually directing these productions that maybe you never really picked up in school, but you picked up in actually doing that maybe you maybe would have wished they would have <laughs> let you know ahead of time. <laughs> but gosh, there's just a, there's a whole lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of actors I've worked with along the way that I admired. Um, very soon after I got out of college, I did a production of the shadow box and the actress playing Beverly collected all this stuff that she had in her dressing room, all this stuff that just informed her character. And I had never witnessed something like that going on before. And she was probably journaling too. And I'm just always fascinated by that and tried to emulate that in some ways. I'd collect some things for around my dressing room mirror that would put me in the right place for that show. What is it you love most about directing? I love to trust the process. I love having a complete production staff that all brings something to the table and trusting the process. I did some summer stock in the late 80s. I was hired to direct Godspell. It was laid out for me that would happen in an MTV soundstage, but I wasn't really given anything else beyond that. So, you know, I I spent some weeks before for getting to the job, trying to think about it, and then got there and met the rest of the company. And it turned out that at least half the cast played musical instruments. And a lot of them had roller skating skills. So, you know, we sort of reset it in that 80s time period. And all of those characters became reminiscent of of a personality then. Like, you know, one was obviously Bette Midler. One was obviously Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis. And what is it? That song, is it all good gifts? And there's usually a, it's not, it's a recorder solo in it. But the guy that sang it played violin. And he could play that solo in the same key that you would do the recorder in. And wow. then the end of the first act just became a jam session with everyone that played instruments on stage. And it was pretty thrilling. I, I, I believe it was their biggest hit of the summer. 
It sounds very exciting and I'm sure would have been so much fun to watch. And several years later here in Elgin at the college, I was hired to direct the Fantastics, which I had, I've had a lot of experience with. I didn't really want to do the traditional New York black box production because we had this beautiful big theater and we had some money. I just wanted to do something and I'd read about different little music box productions, but I just came in blind to the first production meeting and put stuff out there. Everybody contributed. A couple of good decisions came out of that. We decided to do it in an alley theater staging which I had never done before and found really thrilling. It forced me to sit down and do a lot more book blocking than I would typically do. And then we just ended up making it a whole different kinds of clowns across the ages. So uh, Matt and Louisa were Pierrot and Pierrette. And of course the fathers were like vaudeville clowns and El Gaia was a, a Cirque du Soleil clown. So it just had its own special energy and look that was pretty exciting. And those were decisions that you made once With you got the whole started. production team. Wow. Yeah, so it really is a collaborative process and a mutual That's my favorite process. way to do it. That's very cool. Everybody's Most everybody's bringing better ideas to the table than I am, so I will be happy to take advantage of those. I, I think that's awesome because I think it's really hard for a lot of people to, directors especially, depending on why they got into directing, um, to be able to maybe put the ego aside and know that, you know, a shared vision can be a really good thing if you give it a chance. Um, you know, some people have that tunnel vision of this is mine and it has to go this way um, or the world's going to fall apart. So the fact that you're open to collaborating with people that you work with is, is really, really special. Always in, you know, in all shows, I think, you know, actors bring their own perspective that is so much more valuable. You know, I'm thinking about the course of the whole show, but they're thinking about these individual characters and you can't deny that, that input. It's important. It's important work. I think that's probably why, I'm sorry to name drop, but I, I have worked repeatedly with an area actress named uh, Shannon Mayhall, and she just forces me to work so hard as an actor. She will come to the first rehearsal with all these questions that she needs to know the answer to. And then we'll take our time to find the answers, but she makes me work hard. So uh, I always enjoy working with her. Oh, she is absolutely magnificent. I love I love watching her, um, and I I did get to see your production that you directed of Spinning into Butter with Shannon, and I I yeah you two certainly do make a great team director and and actor. You know if you have a a long standing relationship and rapport that certainly builds into the work. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a show that you uh, would really like to do next if, or, or something that, that you've been itching to sink your teeth into? Gosh, I'm, I'm at a point in my personal life where I am not looking that far ahead. I'm a, 
getting through tomorrow right now, but uh, I'd be happy to address that question again next year. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Although, okay, but I will say that uh, I saw last year a production of The Niceties at Writer's Theater. And if I were going to pick a show that I wanted to sink my teeth into, if I could cast it, that would certainly be one of them. Well, and when the pandemic hit, um, we had just started rehearsals for The Tin Woman, the Tin which Woman. you were directing at Elgin Theater Company, um, which, oh boy, things were just starting to get fun. And uh, and then, you know, we got cut off. So hopefully we'll get to revisit that one one day. But I did want to ask um, something about that play or the playwright specifically, Sean Grennan, um, because you have a connection to that playwright. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, when I first moved to the Chicago area in 1980, 1981, I was, you know, auditioning for everything and got cast in a production of The Fantastics uh, uh, up at the Wilmette Bowl. And Sean Grennan played El Gallo to my mat. I think that was the first time I ever got to sing a duet with another man. And it's thrilling to sing a duet with two strong male voices. And we became friends. Um, he, he was working with my roommate at the time. And um, then he went on to do a lot of other things. He was started out writing uh industrial shows. And then he started out writing or co-writing a series of musicals that were produced at the Marriott. And then he started writing his own plays. We unfortunately did not stay in touch during all that time. But once the miracle of Facebook came along, we did get back in touch. And then uh, one of the shows that I did with Shannon Mayhall was his Making God Laugh at Steel Beam, which was a terrific experience. I'm a huge fan of his writing because he blends together drama and comedy so seamlessly. I love going to the theater and laughing like a crazy man and then suddenly be crying a couple of minutes later. So, yes. you know, you know, when that evolved into directing The Tin Woman, I was that show is very that the style of that show is very similar that way so i was very excited to be working on that and hopefully we'll get back to it yeah absolutely and and you've done some um reading or previewing of his work before right since um making god laugh i had mentioned to him that i had done a lot of alpha reading for another playwright friend of mine so he has been occasionally sending me new scripts and asking me to to comment on them because um, I have developed my own style of working with new playwrights. I don't like to tell them what they ought to be writing or whatever. I just tell them, you know, where I see this going, what I like about it, sort of commenting on their script, their journey, hopefully answering any questions they have about it. And so I've gotten to collaborate with him that way on several occasions that I love doing that. I love supporting new playwrights. In 1983, I was a member of the Hutchinson Repertory Theater in Hutchins in Kansas, and they had a new play festival. And so the company members were assigned to read all these play scripts, and we weren't really given any parameters at the time. So I sort of developed my own 
rubric for that. So, you know, I love that experience. So when I first moved here to Elgin and my friend Nancy Wright started writing plays, I had the opportunity to produce a number of her readings. First, The first one I did under the auspices of independent players. And then I did a series of one acts on my own under the auspices of what I called playwrights advocate, just to give it some sort of identity in case I, you know, ever wanted to revive that organizational heading or whatever. And then the Elgin Cultural Arts Commission allowed me to do several seasons of, of new play readings on the eighth floor. So I, I have led a charmed existence. A lot of <laughs> unbelievable opportunities have come my way. I think it's perfectly believable. Um, and I think that you would be the perfect person to to offer feedback about a new script because you do have the perspective of being an actor and also being a director. Uh, so I think that's I think that's really cool. It makes a lot of sense. Can I ask you something about when you're directing? Is there a certain a set of qualities that you really hope for in your actors that's sort of common across the board? Gosh, you know. Every, every play, every situation is different and you're looking for the right people in the right roles. You know, there's the parameters of the script and the interplay of the actors, but I'm also concerned about the, the interplay between the actors and the audience. Mm. Some, some actors are just more empathetic or whatever. And that's, something I'm always attuned to when I'm casting a show is, is how an audience is going to react to an actor and, and if that will enhance the production in any way. And have you ever been really surprised at the reaction that uh, one of your actors has, has gotten from the audience or something that they've... Well, I wouldn't like to say I was surprised. I would like to say that I saw it <laughs> coming, but it is you know always a thrill when an actor you know, a, f- a first time actor, a young actor, or even a more seasoned actor makes some sort of breakthrough. Gosh, that is a great day for me. If I get to watch that or, or shepherd that in any way, that's, that's thrilling. So Richard, tell us about um, maybe a time that something funny happened during a performance. Well, there was this kind of I guess it wasn't cursed, but there was this production of Annie I did at an equity dinner theater in the mid 80s. I think we rehearsed for two weeks. It ran for 19 weeks over the holidays. Wow. You know, so through flu season. And uh, so there was a lot of stories there. You know, there was the biting Sandy and the vomiting Annie, but probably the best story was. I played multiple roles. I played Louis Howe, President Roosevelt's assistant. And uh, as you know, President Roosevelt used a cigarette holder. And during rehearsals, the cigarette would fall out of the holder. So we had this plan, you know, if that happened, if I didn't notice, he'd just tap me on the shoulder. I'd find the cigarette, return it to him. Everything was cool. So, you know, one night during performance, you know, he taps me. There's no cigarette in his cigarette holder. So I look around. I see nothing. I casually circle his wheelchair and see 
nothing. We exchange a little eye contact. It becomes obvious that is probably he's probably sitting on it. So uh, I, I sort of roll up my sleeve a little and he uses his upper body strength to push him up and I reach between his legs under him and pull out the cigarette. Um, I am proud to say that he and I never broke character. It wow. didn't stop the show for about two minutes and the stage manager later described it to me as a Tim Conway, Harvey Corman uh, skit. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> Love it. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah, I have on my list of hazardous things to work with children and animals. Cigarette holder wasn't on it, but I've just added, added. it. Added. Yeah. It's been added. <laughs> So we also wanted to ask you about like ways you've seen that theater impacts community. Like there's a real interplay between the show and the community where the show is being put on. I'm so thrilled to be part of the Elgin theater community. And I have loved watching the sort of uh, challenging productions that Janus theater has been mounting for the last five years and I was very fortunate to be invited to direct Spinning into Butter. And uh, since I retired, I've been, I, until the pandemic, I was taking fitness classes, senior fitness classes at the center downtown. And all these other seniors, mostly or older than me, started following my work. And so, you know, we're offering these kind of challenging, thought-provoking, not particularly happy shows. Also, The Mercy Seat. And so many of these people come out to see these shows I'm directing, and they are thrilled to be stimulated by this thought-provoking stuff about what's going on in, in community and country and the world. So it, it's quite a thrill to be a part of that in any way. Yeah, it does make a major impact when you're playing in the the city where you live and you can see the people in your town coming to see the shows and you know that they're walking away with ideas and thoughts. That's the really people exciting. that you would expect to love Neil Simon are coming out and loving this other stuff that you're doing. Oh, and that makes me even more excited because nothing against Neil Simon, but I I love a theater that is brave and isn't afraid to to do some um, thought-provoking or non-traditional, non-comedic material. And I love a comedy. I, I love it all. Like It's like you said, if I can laugh and cry and all the things, all the better. But, um, you know, it's so important to have that balance. So that's that's really exciting for, to hear. And uh, we've probably got a dozen more questions for you, but I just I wanted to make sure that we didn't uh, let you go before we asked you something about, can you tell us something about the Dennis Taylor Scholarship Foundation? I would be delighted to. Dennis Taylor was my partner for 25 years. We were married for the last three of those years. Um, he started his theater career in the, in the mid sixties. He grew up in Batavia. He was a dancer as a kid. Don't ask me how that came about. He went off to the University of Arizona and was involved in several dance groups there and got recruited to dance in the big stage musical comedies they were doing there, My Fair Lady. 
And so then he came back and started doing a lot of musicals with uh, Arcada. From being a dancer, he quickly started choreographing. And then he may have had some minor control issues. He wanted more (laughs) control over the look of the show. So he started doing some costuming. And I think he did a little set decorating. And then as years went on, he started styling wigs and... You know, he did amazing stuff. I did not meet him till 1992. So he'd already had a complete 25-year career by then. Um, And, you know, we got to collaborate on stuff together. He continued working. He was still styling wigs when he unexpectedly died four years ago. And... You know, as many people are want to do, I, I wanted to commemorate him. I wanted to remember him. So I, I talked to some of my other close theater friends, Diane McFarlane, who you know, uh, Dennis and Dawn Brown, and they supported my crazy idea to start a scholarship in his name. And I was in kind of bad shape at the time. They jumped through, you know, the legal hoops and stuff to get it going. And... He died in November, and that spring we gave five performing arts scholarships. The next two years, we gave 10 scholarships each year. This last year, the pandemic year, we only had four people apply. They all got scholarships. So, yeah, these these scholarships go to kids studying the performing arts. Actors, directors, singers, musicians, musicians. yeah, designers, whatever. And it's, we interview and audition all of these kids. And gosh, it it is extremely rewarding. So we've done, we did a big fundraiser the first year and raised some money. We've done um, uh, Facebook fundraisers, uh, Giving Tuesday fundraisers every year. And now I believe we are going to be doing a new fundraiser in December. Uh, I think I'm allowed to speak about it. Steel Beam is going to be producing a Christmas musical review on weekends in December. And musical director Doug Orlick, who is also now the president of the scholarship fund, asked if they would host two Saturday matinees as fundraisers for the scholarship fund. And that is the plan. That sounds like a great way to help out people in the community and and a great collaboration just to get it off the ground, it sounds like. And to keep your husband's memory alive. What a wonderful way to honor him. That's so If there cool. are people listening that would like to maybe donate their time or, or help in some way for the, the scholarship fund, is there someone they should reach out to? They can certainly message us through the website. Great. And that website, I believe, is www.dennistaylorsf.org. So it's uh, D-E-N-N-I-S-T-A-Y-L-O-R. S for scholarship, F for fund.org. Richard, you have had a lifelong career in theater that most of us, you know, hope and wish for. Um, What advice do you have for people who want to pursue a lifelong career in theater? Just keep 
feeding your passion and seek out new opportunities and don't be afraid to to try new things, to audition new places. Just be open to to, to what's out there because I'm going through a bit of a, a health crisis right now and the the local theater community has just been so supportive of what I'm going through. And it's, it's uh, been a great place for me to pursue my passion. And we're so glad for it. And you are so loved by this community, which is why we had to talk to you. So thank you again for saying yes. I don't know how you did that advice of always trying new things. You might have to uh, get into a musical or something. So be careful. Absolutely. Oh, and Galen, you are ideal for being a director. Go for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, I love it. Yes, thank you for turning it on, Galen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate sure. that. I had, <laughs> now I don't have to be I in a had musical. Her on the Galen has to be a director. Uh, musical stuff, and you had to shift it. Way to go. <laughs> 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 that is perfect. Well, I, I will say, uh, talking to uh, Jen, Jennifer Reeves Wilson, uh, Hicks, good friend, and and another local actor. Um, she said that you were the one, Richard, who inspired her to get into musical theater a little bit. I believe you directed her in Sylvia years ago. I did. There was a little bit of singing, I, and she said she was very nervous about that little uh, bit of singing. I did not know Jen at all at that time. She auditioned and you know, was by far the best person for it. And then she just blew me away at every rehearsal with her fearlessness to play dog slash woman. Um, it was thrilling to go to rehearsals. So I have enjoyed my years of knowing and watching her. Well, that sounds like it went both ways because then, uh, you helped her through that little bit of fear about having to sing a song in the show. And she took that and said, you know what, I'm going to go take some classes and figure out how to do musical theater. So I'm not scared of it anymore. And went on to do quite a bit. So pretty inspiring, Richard. Did we, uh, did we pass up any opportunities, Richard, for you to do some uh, quality name dropping that, uh, <laughs> you might want to work done too much of that already. No, no, never. <laughs> No such thing. Any any brush with greatness uh, stories or anything like that? That uh... oh sure, brush with greatness. Sure, we can talk about that. In uh, 1989, I so that was towards the end of my decade of being a a itinerant actor director, and I was you know trying to find more stable work. So I was cast in a little educational film in, in Detroit. It was filmed by these great commercial folks, and but this was their passion project based on a, a childhood story that his father had told him. So I ended up playing the father in, in, in Mr. Trebillion's Ambition, and cast as my 14-year-old daughter was pre-Broadway star Sutton Foster, and as wow. my nephew was her brother, pre-Broadway star Hunter Foster. So wow. I had wow. the fun of working with 14-year-old Sutton and 19-year-old Hunter and then watching their amazing careers over the, the following decades. 
Ah. See, now is when you tell everybody you taught them everything they know. Uh, uh, I wish. (laughs) They were very talented and very disciplined kids. Thank you so much for for agreeing to be on the show and sharing some stories with us. Uh, We hope you had a good time. We certainly enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. And, and, and I enjoy what you do. I've, I'm not caught up on all the episodes yet, but I'm loving getting to know more about my, my colleagues and uh, associates. So bravo to you. It's a great community and they're all going to be very excited to learn more about you too. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so, so much. We really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. And that's all for this episode of the Just For Show show. We'd like to thank Richard Paul once again for sharing his stories with us. Don't forget, you can find all the latest information about the show on our Facebook page. A while back, we asked you to send us your stories. We got a few that we hope will get on the show very soon, but we'd always like to see more. You can email us at justforshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time.